want to see you. I'm going to move the furniture so I can see you properly. That's better. Okay. Oh, to be able to give you a hug. Yes. And to, uh, let's get the microphone close to you. There you go. Last, so, last hug was uh, just before COVID in February 2020. Finally, we can do it again thanks to the hospitality of the United Arab Emirates. Your Highness, thank you. Excellent. You know, putting, and I think I can safely say, Your Highness, this event feels different this year. It feels there's a seriousness and issues to be discussed, which there are. So let's get to it. Ukraine and Russia. Mm -hmm. uh, humanitarian crisis, economic disaster area in the making, food security uh, catastrophe on the horizon. Where do you start? Well, the, we actually start from the fact that the world economy is still recovering from the COVID-induced pandemic. So we start from a weaker point. We were hoping for the world to grow more and to suppress inflation. We got, Richard, the exact opposite. Growth down, inflation up. The war in Ukraine is devastating for Ukraine. It would shrink probably about one-third. It is very bad for Russia. Russia is going to be in deep recession this year. But it also spills over to the rest of the world. It goes far, it goes fast. All right, far and fast. What's the fund doing? You've made, you've made funds available to Ukraine. You're making funds available to spill over. I hate the phrase spillover countries, but you know what I mean, to, to, mm -hmm. to Moldova and those yep. countries. Have you got enough money? We do have $750 billion lending capacity. Because of the wisdom of our membership, last year we issued special drawing rights, this is a reserve asset, of $650 billion. And now we are asking our well-to-do members to please lend through us on highly concessional terms some of your newly acquired reserves that you don't need for your economies so we can boost our concessional lending capacity, cheap money for poor countries. Right, but the problem with, with this, lending, they, they need the money. Mm -hmm. But even on concessional terms, they're taking on debt. And eventually that's gonna boomerang. Essentially, you don't want loans, you need grants. You need to write the thing off and say, here it is. Yep. So that was the beauty of the special drawing rights because it is de facto a grant. Ukraine got $2.7 billion in special drawing rights. Uh, I have had meetings with leaders of poor countries, Somalia, uh, uh, countries that are today in very deep trouble. They're telling me, thank God for the special drawing rights. But Richard, they also say, 
Madame Kristalina, we do need long-term, low-cost money today. Why? Because with the inflation hitting everywhere, advanced economies, the US, the Federal Reserve, are increasing its interest rates. For poor countries, that means cost of what they currently have as debt goes up and suffocates them. Well, we'll get to this in a second, if we may, because I've got a few points I want to ask you about that. Let's just stick with Russia and Ukraine for mm -hmm. a second. Why, why haven't you suspended or kicked Russia out of the fund? Well, we have no problems with Russia. Our Moscow office is not operational. So in, the, in that sense, uh, uh, we have a uh, very, very, very uh, difficult and different relations. Can you suspend them? Do you have the authority? Can the board suspend them? The board can only suspend them if the membership of the fund says we do not recognize anymore this particular government. And that is a very tall order uh, decision, uh, Richard, because we all know that for, the or for this war to end, there has to be dialogue. It is not going to happen without it. So we have articles of agreement. In our articles of agreement, countries have obligations to the fund that are only economic and financial obligations that obligations are currently being um, followed. Right. And uh, we want to stick to rules-based governance. So talking about to the economic mm -hmm. situation, for the longest time, the IMF said, don't, post-pandemic, don't raise rates, don't tighten, don't do anything that might choke off the recovery. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? Everybody waited so long, we've got inflation that really could have been dealt with sooner. Mm -hmm. And now you're saying, raise rates to get rid of inflation. Which is it? Mm -hmm. Well, Richard, when we said don't raise rates, it was when we did not expect supply chains to be so fragile. Once we found out, and it was in October last year, that supply chain interruptions are going to be longer, we changed our advice. And our advice became, be careful how you tighten monetary conditions, but inflation is becoming a problem. It has to be addressed. And, and let me just tell you, uh, this supply chain, interrup chain interruptions that happened last year, 2021, translate this year, 2022, in 1.5% boost of inflation. And then we have other factors. So, of course, our policies, Richard, are not set in stone. They reflect the evidence we have to formulate them. Do you believe, to use the phrase, the inflation is now entrenched and is sticky? Do you now believe, because when we talk about the Fed, Mm -hmm. having to raise rates six times mm -hmm. to two point whatever percent uh, before the end of the year. This is dramatic. 
it is dramatic, but fortunately for the world, it is happening in a country that has very strong foundation for growth. In other words, the US is going to withstand in terms of where they end the year in growth a increase of rates. I don't worry for the US, they would do fine. I worry for the countries that are with high level of debt and do not have the uh, recovery success of the US. Should those countries, I know this is a bit like let them eat cake, but should those countries have taken on that debt in the first place? We knew, Managing Director, that interest rates could not stay down at these levels. And they were borrowing, and China was lending, and the development banks were lending. Well, um, with hindsight, we all would make different decisions. I started my uh, position as Managing Director October 2019. Guess what we talked about? Low for longer. Interest rates are going to stay low. Why? Because productivity is low, growth is low, and therefore we are stuck. Well, then came the pandemic, and I still believe that we do have to give credit to all policymakers for what they have achieved in 2020, including policymakers in this room. Because in um, March 2020, I would wake up in the middle of the night worried that the global economy would implode. We predicted in the beginning of 2020 that it will shrink by 10%. That means depression. Mm -hmm. That did not happen. Why it didn't happen? It didn't happen because Central banks, finance authorities acted immediately to put the floor under the economy. And that action also included some additional borrowing. And at that time, when you borrow more, you actually still pay less for your debt service because interest rates were going down, down. Now that changed. It changed because of the longevity of the pandemic and supply chain interruptions and because of the war. So how many countries do you estimate you're going to have to help mm -hmm. as a result of increasing US rates? I assume you support the Fed in its policy. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we support the Fed in, in its policy. It goes back to your question how long inflation is going to last. Uh, effective central bank interventions would bring it down faster. Uh, we first, the first group, the one that I am most worried about, are low-income countries in debt distress. This is 60% of low-income countries. It was only 30% in 2015. They need the fund. Then come emerging markets with high debt and very high dependency on food imports. Take, for example, Lebanon, Egypt, they certainly need, need the fund. They have already asked for our support. So to answer it in, in, uh, in one word, when you say how many countries, answer, many. Do you believe there will have to be debt write-offs, whether through the Paris Club 
or the London Club, we're getting to a point where the debt burden is so large that, these, that, they, that it's just going to have to be written off. For, for some countries, there will have to be very deep that restructuring that includes that haircut, yes. For many countries, it would be a matter of that reprofiling, just making it so that it is stretched over time, they can recover, they can pay it back. But the key issue here is, do we have sufficient capacity to do it? And unfortunately, the common framework for that resolution that the G20 embraced in 2020 has been still slow to deliver outcomes. Three countries asked for it. We haven't yet finished even one. On good path for Chad, on reasonably good path for Zambia. But hey, if we have 60% and only three in this restructuring, we have a problem. Why? I, I mean, I know how the UN works, and I know the IMF has... You can move very fast when you want to. Yes, Ukraine and we do. A, Ukraine is a good example mm -hmm. of, of, of this. So as you now look to the next 12 months, mm -hmm. it's almost impossible to do this, isn't it? Because there's so many exogenous uncertainties. Yes. You just have got no idea. But what's your priority? Number one priority to clearly identify countries at highest risk and be ready for them. We have created virtually on the first day when the war started a crisis room at the fund to do exactly that. Be ahead of the curve and be able to act swiftly for countries that need us. But for the world community, for all of us in this room, my biggest hope is that the war ends. The sooner this war ends, the better for the people of Ukraine, for their neighbors, for the economy of our world. And your home country? Mm -hmm. Well, my, my home country is highly dependent on imports of uh, primarily gas from Russia. Uh, inflation has started climbing. It is now 7%. People are anxious. And they're actually more anxious about the risk of a war spilling than anything else. My granddaughter, 11, she calls me and asks me to explain to her why are children dying in Ukraine, why there is a war. So again, we, for many of us in Europe, a war is an unthinkable event but it happened. Are you the right person in the right job at the right time, specifically <laughs> because you come from Central and, and Eastern Europe? You have a background, you remember communism. Mm -hmm. You grew up in that, yes. in that era. Your family is still there. Mm. You're on the border of the countries that are protagonists. Mm. Are you the right person in the sense that you have an understanding? Uh, Richard, I, I, I feel very uncomfortable to praise myself for anything, but the answer is yes.
Um, and let me tell you why. In the mid-90s, I lived through hyperinflation in Bulgaria. My mother's savings evaporated in 48 hours. And I had to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to kill for milk for my daughter. I know the pain people are experiencing now in countries where food is becoming scarce and too expensive to buy. Secondly, I am the right person because I know how devastating a Cold War is, how much it reduces the world's productive potential, and how terrible it is for people living on this other side. So I am very committed to cooperation that may prevent, after the hot war, another cold war to split the world into two. And the third reason I'm the best person for the job in this time is uh, because uh, I was a humanitarian commissioner. I worked for five years on the front line of humanitarian crisis, and I know that Acting is important. Acting swiftly makes a difference. Uh, so the fund acted swiftly when the pandemic hit, and I promise you, we are there for our members who need us now. Ladies and gentlemen, the Managing Director. نشكر معالي كريستالينا جورجيفا على هذه الجلسة. Thank you. Your